630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Two games in the NHL tonight. The Senators and the Canucks are about to face off in Vancouver. The Canucks, like the Oilers, are 3-5. and five. Ottawa with a record of 1-4-1. One, and one. They're going to be here in Edmonton on Sunday and next Tuesday. Chicago and Nashville scoreless late in the first period. Shots just 4-4 so far in that game. The Raptors in action against the Bucks. One minute left in the first quarter, tied at 30. Toronto coming into that game with a record of 7-10. and 10. The Bucks are 10-6. and six. All right, so the Edmonton Oilers 2-2 two and two on their road trip. They are 3-5 and five on the season. They're back home for four games. They have the Leafs tomorrow and Saturday. I mentioned the upcoming games against Ottawa. Tomorrow's broadcast on 6.30, Chet, will start at 6 o'clock with the face-off show. The game will start at 8. So, 3-5, and five, not a very good record. It is not a disastrous start to the season, but they've got some work to do. They have some making up to do in the standings, and I know, it. yes, it's still relatively early in the season, but they are one-seventh of the way through the schedule, and uh, they're already looking up at a few teams, or even if they're not behind teams in points, they have a worse point percentage than some other clubs. So I want to talk about the standings and how the division might shake down, get to that a little bit later on. The four games on the road trip, could have they lost all four? Yeah. Could have they won all four? Yeah. I think ultimately two and two, a fair mark. Sure, the dramatic buzzer beater in Winnipeg, but give them credit for coming back. Last night, early in the third period, the Oilers just completely overwhelmed and an ongoing problem with the Oilers. When the opposition really is able to ramp it up, play with some speed, play with some aggression, play with some tenacity, the Oilers cannot get it back on the rails. And I think that's why we've seen them give up goals in bunches, even going back to the playoff series in August against the Chicago Blackhawks. It's happened again this year in a few games. Game one against Vancouver, the Oilers tied at 2-2 early in the third. Canucks came back with a couple of quick ones. The Leafs in the third period, the other game. And certainly last night, the, 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 the Oilers took a one-goal lead into the third period, and then the Jets just stormed out of the gates and by the seven-minute mark had a two-goal lead and never really looked back from there. Sure, the Oilers had a bit of a Hail Mary, Hail Mary opportunity at the end, but it didn't really work out. So what's going on, and what do they have to do better, and are they capable of doing things better? Those are some of the things I want to talk about tonight. And I, I, I feel like eight games into the season, there are three clear areas that have hurt the Oilers to this point and a couple of them are not necessarily on the ice and I'll get to those but we'll start with the one that's been quite obvious and talked about a lot and that is goal prevention and defensive play now goal prevention lumps in of course goaltending and I, I, I've been asked a lot about Miko Koskinen. How do I see Miko Koskinen? I think Miko Koskinen ideally would be a pretty good backup goaltender if you're a pretty good backup goaltender in the NHL, then you will have stretches where you look like a decent starter and you'll have other stretches where you don't look that solid. He's had to play every game because of the injury to Mike Smith. The first four games on the homestand, especially the first three, he didn't look that settled to me. He was looking for the puck a lot. I think a couple of goals were questionable. I will say this on the road trip. I didn't have a problem with how Koskinen played. 
I didn't think the games that the Oilers lost on the road trip, they lost because of Koskinen. I thought the two games they won, he came up with some pretty big saves. Now, hey, elite goaltenders, great goaltenders, even really good goaltenders make those difficult saves. Is Koskinen making enough of them? No, but is he faced with a ton of grade A, high danger, whatever you want to call him, scoring chances against? You're darn right he is. And I think that's a bigger problem than his play. I, I don't think the Oilers have been able to protect their goaltender very much and shelter him from facing a lot of open shots from the slot, from a lot of rebounds, from a lot of deflections in front, and a lot of odd man rushes, which for a lot of the road trip, the Oilers cleaned up some of those issues. But then last night, the Jets started having odd man rushes and open looks, and and that flared up and eventually cost the Oilers in the end. So I'm not look. I'm not giving Koskinen a pass. I still feel the same way about him. But if we want to look at the goal prevention, I would put the goaltending aside as a major major problem. So what are the major major problems when it comes to goal prevention? Well, let's look at some of the areas, and many of these, Dave Tippett and some of the players have talked about over the first couple of weeks of the season. Being heavy on your stick, winning battles in the corners and in front of the net. The Oilers have not been very good at that. They have not, if you just want to say they haven't been able to bear down, take the opposition stick away, take the shot away, get in the way of a shot, become a bit of a nuisance. I, I think that's been a problem. Reading plays, either off the rush or in the defensive end. That has been a problem. You know, going back to game one, when Larson body-checked the Canuck attacker with Cassian on him on the back check, all Larson had to do was go to the middle of the ice to take the pass away. Instead, he goes over there and he's open. And, and we we saw that last night. I mean, uh, Barry and Russell not able to, to defend a crisscross, didn't read the play properly. That leads to a Winnipeg goal. So that's another issue. Moving the puck, which I'm going to put in under goal prevention. Can you get the puck? Can you make a crisp pass or two? And can you get out of the zone? We haven't seen enough of that. And we haven't seen enough of that from players who have done it in the past or who were brought in specifically to do it. And then, as I mentioned, just too many high danger scoring chances where, and, and, and those I think are probably the result of some of the things I've already talked about. You misread a play, you misread a rush, you do a bad pinch, sets up a three on one, three on two or two on one, or while you're being cycled, you just aren't able to stay calm and stay in position and stay where you're supposed to be. And that leaves open areas of the ice. So the, on the ice, the, the goal prevention is still fairly poor. And I think that has cost the Oilers more than anything else. And I, and certainly there are some other areas to talk about, and I'm going to talk about them. But if you're taking a 3-2 lead to the third period and you want to be a good team, more often than not, you got to shut that down and you got to win it. Or you know what? If you're going to lose, you lose 4-3 in overtime or in a shootout and you still get a point as opposed to the dramatic transition in the game going from plus one to minus two in the space of about three and a half minutes so continued problems with the orders there the the thing i'm struggling with is how much of this is mental decision making where they just need to read plays better and play a little more responsibly and play a little bit smarter how much of this is where maybe they just have players who aren't able to consistently perform at that level 
or who maybe once could perform at that level and, and now their play has dropped off. That's probably the bigger issue. I, I believe there are some guys on the back end and forwards too, if I want to lump in everybody defending, that can play better, can make better decisions, can be more sure of themselves to defend in those high danger areas and take that extra step and take a guy's stick away or get in the way of a pass or a shot. I, I hope that they have that in them to be a little more determined in that regard. And again, protect your goaltender. Because I also think if Koskinen were facing, you know, 26, 27 shots a game instead of 35, 36, 37, 8, he's obviously going to be a better goaltender. Also on the ice, uh, I mean, look, it's it's not just on these two guys, but two players who were signed to come here and do a very specific job and very important jobs have not come anywhere near to fulfilling those expectations. And, and you know who I'm talking about. Tyson Berry has already been taken off the power play. He's a power play specialist. In the past, Darnell Nurse has had to, had to fill in for Oscar Clefbaum and did not do as well as Oscar Clefbaum. Well, he's replaced Tyson Berry on the power play the last game and a half. Tyson Berry has two assists in eight games. He was brought in to provide offense from the back end and hopefully be at least serviceable defensively. So he's off the power play. He's not getting points five on five. Is there a time all season long where Tyson Berry has joined the rush and looked like a fourth forward like we thought he was going to be when he came here? He has two assists. He's minus five. He played 14-01 last night. Played 14 minutes. So he's not getting the special teams time. If you're into the advanced stats, his Corsi is 45.2%. That's the percentage of shot attempts that are taken by the Oilers when Tyson Berry is on the ice. Now, you know, there's there are other guys on the ice. But still, when he's on the ice, the Oilers are getting uh, outshot basically 11 to 9 in terms of shot attempts. Doesn't have to go, go on goal or not. And Kyle Turris in my mind, has been a bigger disappointment than Barry. He was coming to the team to be the third-line center, and I, and I still think he's going to have that role for the time being. And it looked like, and I certainly said this myself, wow, what a, an ideal third-line center. He doesn't have to get, you know, 0.8 points per game or anything like that. If he comes in, gets around half a point per game. Even if over a 56-game season he gets around 25 points, that's going to be fine. Do some other things well, and that's a great guy to have in that slot. Instead, through eight games, Kyle Turris has one goal, and he's minus eight. His face-offs are below average at 48.2%. His Corsi is quite poor at 38.5%. Now, he has been used primarily in the defensive zone. When he starts a shift, 69% of the time he started in the defensive zone. So, is he being asked to do some things defensively and checking-wise that perhaps he just isn't able to do? Maybe if there's a face-off in the Oilers' end, maybe Dreisaitl's line is a better option to go out and take it, even though they're starting a long way from the other team's net. Maybe whoever your fourth line is a better option to go out and take it if you have that option in the rotation. 
but certainly offensively, which Turris has a pedigree of being at least a decent offensive player, we have not seen any of that except for that very nice shot against Winnipeg. I can't even really remember another great scoring opportunity. So those are some of the things to me happening on the ice that have been holding the Oilers back. It continued defensive struggles, continued struggles with goal prevention, and two relatively significant free agent signings to this point have not been anywhere near their expectations, anywhere near their expectations. Now, I guess we we have no choice but to wait it out. Sometimes it takes players, you know, eight, ten, even a dozen games in a new team to really get acclimatized, to really start doing well. I look back to the year Andre Secura joined the team, and I, I remember, uh, you know, taking calls after games. This guy's terrible. Why did the Oilers sign him? And then about a month into the season, he really settled in. And before he got that, uh, that, that injury against Anaheim, I think he was a pretty good player for the Oilers. Hopefully, we see some of that turnaround from, uh, from Kyle Turris and Tyson Berry. But again, the, the, the big thing is the quality of the opportunities the Oilers are giving up. You know, Dave Campbell, the producer of the show, went on Natural Stat Trick, which is a good hockey site, and looked at some of the five-on-five numbers. In terms of five-on-five goal scoring, the Oilers have the fifth most in the league. They have 14. And I realize we're at a point where not every team has played the same number of games. The thing is, uh, the thing is for the Oilers, five-on-five, they've allowed the second most goals in the league. The only team worse is the Vancouver Canucks, who have jumped up to a one-nothing lead on Ottawa. According to Natural Stat Trick, and they track their own high-danger chances, that the Oilers have actually had the most high-danger scoring chances for in the NHL. This is according to Natural Stat Trick. But they're also giving up the fourth most in the NHL. So, you know, it's like the football team that's going to score 35, but they're going to give up 42. So they're not going to win. High danger goals against Oilers fifth most with eight. So that's really what it's coming down to. They're getting outshot. They're to some degree getting outchanced and the chances they're giving up are 10 bellers. And to get back to why I don't think Koskinen has been terrible, he is facing grade A chance after grade A chance after grade A chance. And eventually on any goaltender, some of those are going to go in. All right. So that's the, the first part of my look at the team to this point. I'll talk about coaching and management when we get back. It's 621 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. just incredible thank you so much the chorus radiothon in support of the stollery children's hospital foundation raising 1.59 million dollars over the last couple of days you do have until seven o'clock to donate 780-470-KIDS or the toll-free line 1-866-407-KIDS 
I mean, the, the, your generosity is incredible, and uh, the Stollery Children's Hospital, just an incredible institution here in the city of Edmonton and for northern Alberta. 1.59 million bucks through the Chorus Radiothon over the last couple of days. You can still donate until 7 o'clock tonight. The Oilers did not skate today. No practice. Day off game tomorrow against the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's at 6 o'clock with the face-off show on 6.30, Chad. The game will start at 8. All right couple other things here about the Oilers that I think have affected the overall play and the overall record this season. I, I didn't understand entirely what Dave Tippett did last night with the lineup. I, I, I really didn't. Slater Cuckoo, you know, he was brought here to be a depth defenseman. So when, you, you, when he was signed, I certainly thought, okay, he's going to have to sit out some games. He's probably going to be in a rotation. Sometimes he might be the number seven. He probably understands that. That's who he is at this point in his career. He hasn't been a problem on the back end. So I don't understand why he came out. And I know at some point you want to get Caleb Jones back in. I know it. maybe it's tough to take out Adam Larson or Tyson Berry. I know they shoot right, and we're talking about a couple of lefties. But to me, that almost felt like a lineup change for the sake of a lineup change, especially taking that player out of the lineup who, with all the issues the Oilers have had on the back end, actually hasn't been the biggest problem child. So I didn't understand that. Up front, Patrick Russell in for Tyler Ennis. Okay, Ennis was only played six minutes in the previous game. He was placed on waivers, wasn't claimed. He's probably going to be in and out of the lineup most of the year. Hasn't made a huge impact when he's played. Patrick Russell has been trusted now by a variety of coaches. He goes out there and plays a relatively simple game and doesn't hurt you. And hey, good for him. He got an assist last night. That one I get. Jujar Kara came into the lineup to be the fourth line center ahead of Devin Shore. Tippett made the comment that he thought Shore's game had dropped off the last couple of games. Well, okay. But when has Jujar Kara ever shown anything what like Devin Shore did in the games where he played well, at least recently. Like, it's been a long time since we've really seen Jujar Kara go out there and grab it and make the most of an opportunity. All right, he kills penalties. Fair enough. Five on five. Again, it's been a while since he's done anything. So, Tippett also said they got... 29 guys around, because now you don't just have the 23-man roster. You basically have a 29-man roster with the taxi squad. And guys are working hard, and he wants to get them in, and he doesn't want them to sit for too long. Fair enough. Patrick Russell, like he said, has been working hard and, and doing very well in the taxi squad drills. So maybe he has actually earned the opportunity to play. Other than that, just playing people so they don't sit for too long, I don't get it. This isn't junior high volleyball. Everybody isn't guaranteed a game when you play five sets. You're, you're playing to win. And in my mind, two of the three moves Tippett made last night reduced the Oilers' chances of victory. 1-1 now, Ottawa and Vancouver halfway through the first period. Happy to hear from you on the Oilers. What do you think of the D? What do you think of Tippett's work? 78049. 60063 7804960063 back after the news
6.43 left in the first period. Ottawa and Vancouver tied 1-1. The Senators out shooting the Canucks 15-6. Early second period, no score. Blackhawks and Predators. Bucks leading the Raptors 60-52 in the final minute of the first half. Also today, Pittsburgh Penguins general manager Jim Rutherford resigning his post citing personal reasons. He did not get into uh, any details. Assistant GM Patrick Alvin will take over on an interim basis. Alvin, for, uh, pardon me, Alvin, 46 years of age, the first Swede to be an NHL GM in league history. 7804960063 Andrew I'm going to get to you in a second I just want to quickly wrap up a couple things here about uh, Dave Tippett's performance yesterday in the loss to Winnipeg and the decisions he made beforehand there was an opportunity perhaps to ch- challenge a goal for offside I thought that was a good n- no challenge it-, it was very close you're now allowed starting this year to have your foot hovering over the blue line so you can have one skate inside the line, and then it used to be your other skate had to be on the ice, either on the blue line or on the onside side of the blue line. Now it can be in the air onside, and I thought that was probably the case last night. And don't forget, if you're wrong on those, you get a penalty. Not taking a timeout at the end of the game, I was surprised. I, I, I did see Tip taking a lot of heat for that. I generally don't get as as worked up about timeout decisions or non-decisions I, I mean he either had to call a timeout and put the big guys out there again or hope that his secondary offensive players could at least get an offensive zone face off with you know a minute 20 or a minute 10 left in the period uh, and then get the big guys out I mean certainly if you call the timeout and go for it right away then maybe you don't have to worry about whatever else happens uh, at the end of the third period. But to me, that was an iffy one. The offside challenge, I I definitely think he should not have challenged that one. All right, we have Andrew on the open line. Andrew, thanks a lot for calling. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good evening. Yeah. Yeah, I was just calling to say that uh, totally agree with, with what you were saying about the lineup changes. You know, as an Oiler fan, it's frustrating in oil country right now with with the with the lack of consistency i guess you could say from well i guess as a whole as a team but you know with certain players that you that you seem to think that they play well but then Tippett decides to bring them out and bring in players like jujar kara for example you know a guy hasn't scored a goal in how long yeah and uh yeah, you know, just not getting any effort and not not throwing body checks and everything. So it's just, uh, yeah, I basically just kind of agree with what you were saying. Well, Andrew, like I don't think they're a terrible team, and I think I think there's going to be lots of up and ups and downs for all the teams in the North Division because they're going to be playing each other. So if somebody's hot, that means somebody else is probably cold. I, I just think. There needs to be a little more desperation in their game, a little more attention to detail. I thought for the most part they had it in the two Toronto games, and it slowly slipped out of their game in Winnipeg and, and led to that third period. Thanks a lot for calling, buddy. Yeah, no, you betcha. All right, that's Andrew at 780-496-0063. We also have Will standing by. Will, thanks for giving me a ring. Go ahead. How are you doing? Good evening. Yeah, just a comment on the 
the defensemen, um, the coach, uh, there's been a lot of discussion on Barry. And does the coach give uh, the defense the green light or is it just Nurse that has the green light? Because it seems to me that he demands a defensive style game and yet he has some horses that he's not really utilizing in that way. Uh, the power play, um, you have some guys that have some potential like Bear and also Barry, but yet uh, there's a little bit of hesitancy, I think, on the coach to to implement that green light. I could be wrong, but your comments would be appreciated. Thank you. Take care. I, I think that uh, any defenseman, if he sees a responsible opportunity to create offense, has the green light, especially Tyson Barry. And again, Will, to, to repeat what I said in the first half hour of the show, you know, Tyson Berry, through parts of his career, has been able to join the rush and look almost like a fourth forward when he's playing really well. So I, I don't think he's come here and Dave Tippett has said, no, 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 you, you don't do that. I mean, they want Tyson Berry doing that. They want him creating offense from the back end. They want him moving the puck quickly to the skilled guys up front. So I, I think d- just Barry has not played well. I, I don't think, uh, I, I don't put that one on Tippett or the coaching staff. I, I, I put that one, um, on the player that he just hasn't been able to come here and perform for whatever reason. And maybe he's still getting acclimatized. Maybe he's not totally comfortable, hasn't figured out how to gel with his teammates. But uh, yeah, I think that that players like that do have the, the green light, so to speak, to help that offense if they're able to. A good question. And I, I guess a relevant question, because like I said, have we really seen even once have we seen Tyson Berry join a rush and, and chip in or follow up a play or get a shot away late or go to the net and get a rebound? I don't think we've seen that. 780-496-0063. Phone lines are open if you want to chime in. All right, so I talked about some of the uh, players and the defensive play. I talked about some of the coaching. I want to talk about a management decision as well. And when, when we look at it, and we knew it was an issue at the time, and it's turned out to be, I think, an even bigger issue. And I'm sure if Ken Holland could do it again, he would do things differently. But Anton Forsberg should have been on the 23-man roster. He should not have been exposed to waivers. It, it was a risk that, well, it was a risk. And now we know that it's a risk that the Oilers couldn't afford to gamble on and, and lose on. Now, okay, so you got even worse luck with Mike Smith getting hurt after the first game of the season. He was he was the backup goalie for the first game of the season. Miko Koskinen still would have played most of the games, so there's been seven games since Smith went down. Sure, he probably plays five of them, maybe he even plays six of them, but Anton Forsberg has at least played around 50 games in the National League and at least knows what it's like and, and has been okay. Look, I, I'm not saying he'd be better than Koskinen. I'm not saying he's he's better than Mike Smith but at least he would give Koskinen a rest and he's someone who has played in the NHL and knows the drill and knows how it works. So I, I think Holland took a really big chance, a really big gamble by putting Forsberg on waivers and he has lost that gamble. Jake Grosnick is, is with the Oilers. Maybe he's activated as soon as tomorrow. And, uh, but again, I don't know how quickly he can be, be able to play after having to, to quarantine for eight days I don't know if they even throw him in a game on the weekend. That's the back-to-back. That's what we've talked about. 
Um, is he going to be comfortable and up and running that quickly? Morning skate tomorrow, probably a practice on Friday, probably optional morning skates both Saturday and Sunday. Can you throw this guy into a game already? I don't know about that. So Koskinen's probably going to have to play three more or Stuart Skinner gets his first NHL appearance. And that's going to be tough on the young man. He's still a young goaltender. He still has, he's still more potential than, than being really what we know we're going to get from him in net. So I, I do think we got to acknowledge that that's another part of the game. I mean, I'm talking about areas they've lost on the ice areas they've lost with the coaching decision and an area they lost in terms of management. I think that was, I mean, we knew it at the time. The, I, I was surprised Forsberg was waived, and then they lost him, and now they've had to bring in and wait for another third goalie for the organization, who could be okay. I mean, Grostick, he's 31. He's played mostly in the minors. He's been a decent minor league goalie. Maybe he'll be able to play a couple of games as a stopgap before Smith gets back. But it would have been nice to have Forsberg through all this. So to me, those are some big factors as to why the team is 3-5. and five. Yes, it is still early. The The standings are going to be in constant flux because playing within your own division all the time, so somebody's winning, somebody's losing, there's going to be three-point games. The number of games played will be uneven for most of the season because one team is usually going to be on some sort of a little mini buy. For example, the Oilers next week will play on Tuesday and then they won't play again until Saturday. So they'll have their little break where other teams will catch up to them in terms of games played. Calgary, for example, already had a bit of a break. They've only played five games. They're two, two and one. The Oilers, Edmund, or, uh, the Oilers Canucks and Toronto have already, already played eight games. That's the most. So we'll see how these next eight games go. But it is already... A little concerning. And even if they were four and four, I would feel a whole lot better. It's probably going to take 60 points to make the playoffs. That's four games over 500. I think that might get you fourth because I think it's going to be pretty tight. So if you look at getting to 60 points, you got to play six games over 500 in the remaining 48 games. Now, the Oilers haven't played Ottawa. They still play Vancouver a bunch. Right now, those two teams don't look that great. Maybe it's a situation where the Oilers are going to have to win seven out of nine against the Senators. And if they split with everybody else, maybe that's enough for them to get into a playoffs. The The best thing, I've talked about this still relatively early, and we'll see if the Canadians keep going. I think the Leafs are going to be pretty good. But maybe the best thing is that Toronto and Montreal just run away with the division. And, you know, if and if they're not playing the Oilers, if they pound everybody else i mean i'm not saying score wise necessarily but if they win against everybody else almost all the time like toronto just swept two against calgary and the oilers split against toronto that's a plus for edmonton so if toronto and montreal take off and maybe you assume ottawa is going to be seventh that leaves the four western teams winnipeg edmonton vancouver and calgary fighting for those four remaining playoff spots and then if the Oilers can do better against Toronto and Montreal than the other teams and get a slight advantage in the season series against those other three, maybe that's enough to get them to third or fourth. Now, they didn't look very good against Montreal earlier. They've already split with Toronto. They've already split with Vancouver. They've already split with Winnipeg. But if they just keep going win-loss, win-loss the rest of the way, somebody asked that on, on the overtime open line last night, if they just keep going win-loss, win-loss, win-loss the rest of the way, 
Well, they're going to wind up with 54 points in 56 games and highly unlikely a sub 500 record will get you in unless there are no overtime games along the way. And, and like I said, Toronto and Montreal just pound all the other Canadian teams, all the other Western teams. So it is a little dicey. I mean, it's going to be hard to, to beat Toronto. And then you have Ottawa coming in here and, and Edmonton has to play them back to back. Don't forget, neither Toronto nor Ottawa has lost a game at Rogers Place. Since the building opened, both teams are 4-0. So, you know, this, this, this is not a guaranteed get three out of four for Edmonton. Of course, it shouldn't be given how they've played. I mean, we could be talking at this time next week and maybe feeling relieved if, if they're 5-7. and seven. And they split those four games and then they get a little break and see how they do once they reset a little bit. So I always watch the standings. And, you know, my colleague Rob Brown says he doesn't doesn't watch the standings till later in the year. But the reason the standings look the way they do later in the year is because of the things that happen earlier in the year. So I always watch them. All right. 780-496-0063. Quick timeout. Inside Sports on Chet. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Uh, just reading some text messages here. Peter from Wainwright says Barry needs time to get comfortable. He seems he seemed like a guy who's in his own head, own head since the trade from the Leafs, or I guess since being signed from the Leafs. Or no, I guess he means since Colorado traded him to Leafs. Sorry, Peter. I think he needs to start having fun again. I would suggest throwing him at forward for part of a whole game, for part or, or for part of a game or a whole game. Let him have the puck on his stick and get more comfortable. Put Barry in the right situation. He will be the best D-man on the team. That is from Peter. Sorry I stumbled so many times reading your text. Mike says, so we're already coming up with scenarios on what other teams have to do in order for the Oilers make the for the Oilers to make the playoffs. Sheesh, when will they ever create their own destiny? That's for Mike. Well, that's an excellent point, Mike. I mean, if, if a team wins enough or takes, par- takes care of its own business often enough, it will not matter what else happens. And the Oilers did that last year out of the gate. I mean, they were, what were they, 5-0 and and, or 7-1 and one at some point, 7-1-1? One and one? I mean, you're already on the happy side of the ledger. And, and you don't have to worry as much about what other teams are doing because you already banked your points. That's why everybody talks about getting off to a good start. I know it's a cliche, but it applies year after year. Another texter says, uh, I think it's not just bizarre that Tippett switched out some of those players, but especially weird that he did it after a win. The whole point of putting out a lineup is to find a combination that gets you two points. So why would he mess with it until they lost again? That is a fair comment. And again, I, you know, I understand, I, I don't think you just blanket say, well, if we win, I'm not going to change the lineup. I, I think clearly Ennis was going to come out after not playing a lot and being waived. And if Patrick Russell's busting his butt in practice and, and actually looking good, then okay, give him a shot. But making three changes and taking out a couple players who appeared to be doing their, doing their jobs in terms of what they were expected with their roles... I, I found that a little odd. Seven eight zero four nine six 
Don says, I think Tip is probably a good coach. However, I think he can be stubborn or lacks flexibility like the Lions against Chicago and in regards to Bouchard coming to mind. Bouchard might have played last night, but he tweaked his back a little bit on the off day. But yeah, you can make the argument that we would have liked to seen him earlier in the season. Brian is on the line. Brian, thanks a lot for calling. Go ahead. Hey, I don't want to beat a dead horse or anything here, but I, I just find him, you, you say like Tyson Berry, maybe he's not quite in with the team yet, but it just seems that we just never seem to have any lines that are cohesive that can play together night after night, or if they don't have a few good shifts, then they switch everything up. And, and uh, I just, it's, I've seen it with every coach so far. And I, I just, I know I obviously don't have the answer, but man, so, you know, somebody's got to do something different. That's all. Well, they've kept the top two lines together for the most part this season, and and those guys are doing good. I mean, you can knock, you know, some McDavid's defensive play maybe. I don't know if he's ever going to be Guy Carboneau in that department, but I, I think they've kept the top two lines together for the most part. But they're, you're, uh, to me, they're, they're shuffling around the lines three and four because they're searching for something that can contribute besides hoping to be even. You know, like you got to okay. score at some point. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, so they were going to put Cassian on the first line. So maybe he had a couple bad games and boom, he's gone. And, and I think he's I think he's a great addition to that line. But that's my opinion. I'm not coach. But anyway, like you say, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it, I just seem to see it coach after coach, game after game. If they're not doing something within the first five minutes, they just they just don't seem to have a game plan anymore. But anyway, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you calling. 780-496-0063. Yeah, I think Tippett, I think McClellan probably blundered the lines more often than Tippett does, if if I were to go by by memory. I don't know if anybody keeps a stat for that. (laughs) Which coach has the quickest blender finger? That'd be a great name for a band, blender figure. I can't even say it, though. Blender finger. But... uh, yeah, I mean, look, when 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 you're losing and you're losing in in disappointing fashion, it's uh, it's pretty discouraging. I, I mean, if you look at, you know, the the loss to the Leafs, I, I thought, okay, you never like losing, but you're you're in the game most of the way. Unfortunately, you give up a, a power play goal in the third to fall behind, but. You, you played a decent game and you played hard in the previous game and got a one goal victory. And then you, or I guess a one goal with an empty net. And then you come out the next night, play a pretty similar style of play. Maybe you don't get a couple bounces and you lose by two with one of those being in an, in an empty net. It happens. And then kind of a wild finish against the jets. Um, I, I thought for the most part, the Oilers played well in that game and they made more dramatic plays late in the game than the Jets did, I guess, if you want to categorize it that way. But the the disappointing ones are coming out and losing 5-1 to Montreal, where you do very little well, then losing 3-1 to Montreal, where your power play goes 0-7, and you give up a shorthanded goal, and then you get completely overwhelmed early in the third period last night. So it's those... It's... It's not, you know, a one-goal loss where it's 3-2 and and another guy makes a great play or you you just can't finish your chances. It's those parts of the game or a a segment of the game where you just get throttled. And those are the ones that are, are, to me, tougher to take because it's almost like you're giving the game away and you're giving the game away in a short period of time and 
and you're not making that other team really stay in the fight and earn it themselves. You know, okay, the, the game they lost to Toronto, fine. Leafs earned it. Previous night, fine. The Oilers earned it. They split the two games. But then you're, you're if you can't take a 3-2 lead into the third period and shut it down and win or, or get the game into overtime – you know that doesn't that doesn't say much about your performance and your structure, and then especially when you give up three goals in three and a half minutes and you go from up a goal to down two. I mean that that that's what's concerning. It's not just that they lost; it's that it was in such spectacular fashion. I guess after having the lead, Kelly Rudy's going to check in, talk a little bit about Matthew Kachuk, more antics from our buddy in Calgary. Inside Sports continues after the news. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.